0: The epistle reading will serve as the sermon text for today, and it comes from Romans chapter 9. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from
1: our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ amen while the crescendo of confidence in Romans chapter 8 comes to a screeching halt in chapters 9 through 11 remember the present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when we don't even know what to pray for the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that are too deep for words All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Those God predestines, He calls, justifies, and glorifies. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And suddenly Paul turns and looks back at his family, his friends, his schoolmates, the members of the synagogue he grew up in, and then by extension all of the biological descendants of Abraham, and his heart breaks for those who have rejected Jesus as the longed for Messiah, and not just for their nation, but for the world. It is a heartbreak that still brings anguish today. As many of you struggle with loved ones who are seemingly walked away from their faith or or at least at least their association with the church as the place where that faith is to be nourished and expressed. As the, the church culture in our country That is the notion of being a a, a Christian nation dwindles. Don't you find yourself scratching your head and wondering where, where did it all go wrong? But perhaps there's another way of looking at it and thinking about it this morning. Might there actually be a lesson for us in Paul's lament for his people and his declaration of the unwavering promise of God that will turn our tears and our fears into a humble boldness that that changes the world, at least the little nooks and crannies of the world where we live so what is the lesson well here's what i propose for this morning privilege often produces pride that divides but only the promise of god that will turn us around and unite us into the family of god which is our our worship theme for today the right family So here we go, let's talk about privilege that often produces pride that divides. So look, Paul Paul starts out with a list of the privileges that were enjoyed by the Old Testament people of God of whom he is one. That is an Israelite. Although it's very curious to me that Paul starts with this phrase, the adoption to point out from the very beginning that even the descendants of Abraham, that is the people of Israel, are not somehow by right natural born sons and daughters, even they had to be chosen, adopted by God. So we're going to talk about Abraham a little bit more in a minute here, but But think about this, God chose Abraham to be the vehicle of his promise to rescue and restore the world. Why? Because he did. In other words, there was nothing about Abraham that merited God's choice. In fact, Abraham was a most unlikely choice, at least by any earthly standards. Now I learned somewhere along the way to date Abraham around 2800 BC. So if you go look at all of the great, mighty, impressive empires that existed 3,000 years before Jesus was born, India, China, Egypt. I mean, I'm no scholar of ancient history, but I am pretty confident that there were great cultures and there were great empires in Abraham's day that would have seemed a better choice if God were working by worldly standards. No, Abraham was a tiny, insignificant individual, not a great nation, not an empire. He has a barren wife and a a greedy, self serving nephew. And God chose Abraham so that there could be absolutely no doubt. That what God had planned to do to rescue and to restore his whole creation was solely and completely by God's sovereign power alone without any merit or any worthiness in Abraham or you or me. We're told Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, that is right with God through faith in the right promise of a Messiah. And by that faith he was adopted as a son of God. The glory The privilege of the glory was the privilege of experiencing the visible, real presence of God in the pillar of fire and a cloud that led them out of slavery to Mount Sinai and then in the tabernacle and finally in the temple in Jerusalem. The covenants... The covenants are all these various agreements that God kept making over and over again with Abraham and his descendants. Abraham, one of your descendants will bless all the nations of the world. Several times to the refugees from slavery in Egypt, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And with David, he said, one of your descendants will sit on the throne of the kingdom of God forever. Then comes the law, verbally delivered by God to Moses. Then the worship, described in minute detail to keep those people's hearts focused on God's mercy and His grace. And then promise after promise, like you heard in the psalmody for today and in the reading from Isaiah, everlasting and steadfast love. And then, last but certainly not least, the human heritage, that is the DNA pool, the genealogy of the Messiah, the Christ, who was true God conceived by the Holy Spirit, and yet true man born of the Virgin Mary, a descendant of Abraham. The first sentence of the New Testament is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of Abraham. And yet, all of that privilege produced a pride, particularly in the religious elite, that came to believe that somehow it was all theirs by right, that it was not by grace alone through faith. And it was a pride that developed into a nationalism that was so intense that when Jesus showed up and posed a threat to their privilege, to their position, to their power, they rose up violently and they killed him. Privilege so often produces pride that divides now we truly do not have enough time to discuss our current cultural divisions (laughs) i don't think it's too hard to see is it I mean, our national greatness, our prosperity, our power seems to have brought us to a moment of divisiveness that's really kind of hard to see past at this moment. I just spent a week at the National Convention of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which many of you know is is the name of our national convention church body and while there are so many incredible and beautiful things happening in our church around the world the spirit of division is pervasive because see this is what sin did to us that original rebellion against god all the way back in the beginning it puffs us up with pride national pride religious pride That leads us to believe that somehow if we just keep chopping ourselves up into smaller and smaller pieces, that we will eventually be whole and pure and united. But here's the critical piece for you and for me, for us this morning. And it is a conundrum. If you can read this text and you don't see the danger in it to yourself, then you may be in real danger. Look, asking the question, have we become like the descendants of Abraham with an entitlement mentality, supposing that we deserve all that we have? And if that doesn't even occur to us, to ask that question, we may, in fact, have become exactly like those descendants. But privilege often produces pride that divides, but God's promise, God's promise produces people united in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. The point is this. God's plan and his work to rescue and to restore his creation, you and me, is completely and without remainder his plan and his work from the beginning with no contribution from us, thank God. Paul makes a very startling and yet brilliant observation that it has always been the promise of God that has the power to bind humanity together into one right family. God had promised to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, but Abraham and Sarah were beyond childbearing years when God miraculously gave them a son, their only son, named Isaac. And even Abraham's faith in the promise cannot be counted as his contribution since he stumbled and fell when he decided to produce his own heir through a surrogate mother named Hagar that resulted in another son named Ishmael that only created a whole other set of problems that God had to deal with. It is all God and only God from the beginning to the end oh then just in case you wanted to argue that that God was now bound to all of the biological descendants of Abraham and Sarah but only those through his son Isaac Paul insists that God's choice of Isaac's twin son Jacob over his brother Esau who was the firstborn who by right should have been the heir of the promise before they were ever born. God chose Jacob the younger son. Now the last words of this text are a cold slap in the face and easily misunderstood. So let's be very clear that this is, in fact, a Hebrew idiom. That is, it is something that is unique to the Hebrew language that is behind the meaning of these words. And it does not mean hate in the way that we understand that word today. In fact, the best comparison is that Jesus uses this same idiom when he told his disciples that they must hate their families and follow him it is rather a term of comparison that means to love Jesus so much that every other relationship pales in comparison now can I just say there's a very important lesson in biblical interpretation here as a side note And that principle of interpretation is this, people, that you cannot make one verse in the Bible say something that multitude other verses in the Bible clearly say otherwise. So the Bible clearly says that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The Bible clearly says God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth about Jesus. The Bible clearly says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he wants all to come to repentance. And so we can say with all confidence, biblically, that God loved Esau too. And that he sent Jesus to die for him. But for his plan of rescue and restoration, God chose Jacob to prove once again that it is not by right of birth, that it is all and only God from the beginning to the end. So can you please take this home with you today? while our privilege often produces pride that divides god's promise produces people who are united into one right family by his grace alone i heard a quote this week that went like this guilt and shame is idolatry of the past That is making something that you have done or that has been done to you the cause of your unhappiness and your insecurity. Anger is idolatry of the present. That's making something here and now the source of your happiness and your security so that when it is threatened, your pride instinctively rages to divide. Oh, and worry? Worry is idolatry of the future. That is imagining that we might somehow lose something that we have now, or hoping that we will somehow find something that will finally give us the happiness and the security that we long for. The promise of God is this. You have been chosen by grace Through no merit, through no worthiness of your own, you have been made a descendant of Abraham in your baptism by being united with Jesus so that like Abraham, you too are now an adopted son or daughter. Your past is completely forgiven. Jesus had all of the privilege of the triune God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and yet his privilege did not produce pride in him, rather he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross people, so that your guilt is done away with. And your shame has been overcome with the precious promise that God has claimed you as his own. The promise of God is this that through faith in Jesus, your privilege need not produce pride, but rather a deep sense of humble boldness that allows you to stop contributing to the divisive rhetoric of our moment in time and instead engage in curious conversations with people who may be very different from you. A couple years ago, Lois and I, through a series of circumstances, wound up on a cruise traveling by ourselves rather than with a group. So we're seated next to a couple in the dining room, and of course, a conversation is struck up, and within minutes... I am asked what do you do for a living and when I told him that I was a Lutheran pastor he replied oh (laughs) Martin Luther hated the Jews now trust me when I tell you that my pride in our church in our theology started formulating a defense by grace and certainly only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, I just acknowledge that Luther indeed said some inexcusable things regarding the Jews of his time and assured this couple that we don't follow Martin Luther, we follow Jesus. And over the course of the next several days, We had a number of really good and interesting conversations that taught me a lot about what it means to be Jewish in American culture today. Look, the promise of God is this, that the suffering of what lies in your future, whether it's the pain of a loss or an illness, regardless of the privilege that lies in your future. God is seeking to refine you and to shape you and to mold you into the ideal person he created you to be so that he might work through you to put the world right, at least in your little corner of it, a right family, united in Christ, a family that Paul described in his letter to the Galatians Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but all are one in Christ that's what we're striving for that's what we're trying to grow toward awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in christ it is nothing less than the kingdom of god the world put right right now through faith until jesus comes again and makes it permanent and complete the promise of god produces people like that people's Whose hearts are breaking like Paul's at the beginning of this text. For our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors, empowered to live lives of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal that that shows them the promise of God. Shows them Jesus. Amen. Now, the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.